Good morning. We're running a little short of time. Carol, please come up and be with us. She's going to complete the second part of her lesson. And I know a lot of you, because you have told me, have been waiting in suspense for this part. So now Carol can take care of that suspenseful feeling. Thank you. Good morning. I, I feel like I've really been accepted in this class. I have a laminated name tag this morning. Roger has already said my prayer for me. I'll just say, dear Lord, move this humble servant out of the way and give us the word that you would have us each year. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we started, where's the clock? And how, how, how long? It's got a shadow on it. Okay, we can do this. We started last time on a lesson that I've named Rebel Without a Cause. We forget sometimes that Jesus came into a world of people who had certainly not been raised as Christians as we have. There was a whole different atmosphere. There were two strata of ruling power in the world that he came into. And those were what? Who who was ruling? Rome, Rome was in charge. And then there was a second level for the Jewish people. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, Caiaphas, who was later very active in getting Jesus crucified, was a very powerful figure, very Big ego, I'm sure. He lived in a palace that rivaled the one that Herod lived in. Very interested in keeping the power they had. They basically made their deal with the devil. And he had been around for about ten years, which was extremely long for one of the, for one of the Jewish priests to stay in charge. So he was a very powerful figure. And we had two groups that were watching Jesus as he went about his ministry. Rome kept a close eye on him because they didn't want an uprising. However, what he was saying was not really bothering the Romans as much as it was bothering the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. So they had the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, as they're referred to, had actually selected a group of people to follow Jesus around most of the time. They were very well educated, and their job was to stump him up, to get him to say something that would either upset Rome or something that they could make an accusation of. So they were always in the crowd. So Jesus was doing two things with his parables. He was teaching to the crowds, and the parables, of course, were a marvelous way to do that because, for the most part, the people were illiterate. They did not read and write, so they could remember these wonderful stories. And the stories were often shocking because they were so different from what was being taught at the temple. He had a, a whole new version of what God's plan was for his people. And he brought hope to the downtrodden. Previous to Jesus' coming, the main thing that was being taught is 
if you're blessed, you're going to be successful. And all of these people were poor, and so they thought God didn't love them. They weren't blessed, or they would have been wealthy as well. The priest in the temple were doing basically the same thing the tax collectors were doing. They were encouraging the people to give heavy donations to support the the group of leaders in the church. And so there was a lot of hypocrisy in that they criticized Jesus, though, for running around with people like tax collectors, etc. They were, for instance, discouraging their following, their flock, if you will, from even keeping their parents in the proper manner, which there were no retirement funds back there. When you were old, your kids had to take care of you. So they were discouraging that because they wanted that money coming in to the temple. And so this is the world that Jesus came into. So he announced his coming and he started telling stories that were very strange to them. Last time I was here, we talked we talked about the first two of the three parables of things lost. We talked about the lost sheep and the effort that the good shepherd put into finding that one lost sheep that he left the 99 behind and went in search of the one and carried that heavy sheep back on his shoulders, and heaven rejoiced over the one sheep. We went from that to the story of the lost coin, and we were studying from Luke, and Luke did with these two parables what he frequently did. He had the first one about a man's occupation, and the second one about a woman's occupation, or way of life, so that the first one appealed to the male group and the second one more to the females. So we learned that she had lost what was basically part of her dowry in her little dark house, and we went through the efforts uh, that she went through to find that, and again, it ended with the fact that heaven rejoiced over finding the one. Now, we're going to go to what we usually call the prodigal son. And there is a difference between this one and the previous two in that we were talking about objects or sheep or whatever the first time. This time, the person in the parable has actually, it's a person that's strayed. It's not an inanimate object or an animal. It's actually a person who has strayed from the father's home. So I'm using the version from Luke 15, 11 through 32. Now, one of the things that biblical scholars discuss about this parable is where that's actually one parable or two. Any opinions there? Could could easily be two parables, and we'll get into that. Um, it's also been called the parable, this parable has been called the gospel within the gospel, which is also something I think we can understand. So it's the parable of the prodigal son. What does prodigal mean? I used to have a whole different idea about what it really means. Actually, we, I think we all think of it as wayward. Actually, the original meaning of the word prodigal is simply wasteful. 
he he wasted what he had. So that that was the original meaning. So let's read Luke fifteen eleven through thirty two, and I'm going to read a part of it and then talk, and I'm going to make two parables out of it. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, what was he doing when he said that to father? I mean, this was a terrible insult. He's basically saying to the father, I wish you were dead. Because even if the father had given it to him under their normal rules and regulations, the son, it would have been understood that the father kept, kept it until he died. So what, and what was this younger son's share? Anybody have an idea about how much the younger son might have gotten here? A third. A third, yes. The oldest one was going to get about two thirds and the younger one would have gotten a third. So he gets tired of hanging out at the ranch and probably being bossed around by the older brother or so. And he asks for his share and he wants to leave home. Did the father argue with him about it? No, he didn't. Why do you think in the story the father didn't try to persuade him? He may have been glad to get rid of it. <laughs> he may have been glad to get rid of it. <laughs> I haven't had that answer before, but that's an interesting one. <laughs> sons myself, and there have been times when there might have been one I'd have liked rid of for a while, too. Anyway, uh, the, the next question I was going to ask, <laughs> does God give us freedom of choice? So, I think we're seeing freedom of choice here. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share. So, the father divided the property between them. Now, that doesn't mean evenly. That doesn't mean evenly, as we discussed. It's probably one-third he got. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Now, it wasn't really that distant. I mean, all of Israel is not that big. But in lifestyle, culture, etc., it was a distant country, far different from where he'd been living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole, in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Now that's about the worst thing that could happen to a Jewish boy because the pig was a horrible, dirty animal in, in their religion, of course. So feeding pigs is about as low as you can go. But he's lived it up to the big, in the big city. He's probably bought for everybody drinks and food and etc. He's spent his money on wild living, wild women, fast camels, I guess. So. <laughs> no red convertibles back then. So. so anyway, he's broke, he's down and out, and suddenly all of his friends have disappeared as well. So he finds himself in the fields feeding pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Now, when he's talking about the hired men, he's not even talking about the full-time servants. He's just talking about, like, the daily labor that the father might hire when the harvest came in or whatever. And they are better off than he is. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Now, we know that the Father, of course, is representing God, and we have this wayward child. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What's that tell us about the father? He's been looking. He's been looking. And, again, the country wasn't that large. He's probably heard rumors about what's going on. But he doesn't send for him, but he certainly is watching and hoping. So, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. Now, that was disgraceful. Noblemen did not run. Slaves ran. And he ran all the way through the village to greet him. The people were shocked that Jesus would show God running. That that was just scandalous because they realized, of course, who that the Father representing God. And here Jesus had him running through the village. Why did he run to him? He loved him. He wanted to greet him, but he also probably needed to do that to protect him because the son had not only insulted the father by leaving, he had insulted the whole village. And the village could have done him harm seeing him coming home for doing this terrible thing. So he was protecting him also by running to him. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. So he's basically said to the village, This is my son, and I am accepting him back again. The son said to him, his rehearsed speech, he tried to get the whole thing out. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now, he's done several things already to welcome him back. The robe is probably the robe that was kept for the honored guest in the house. And he's put that on him. Put a ring on his finger. What did that ring designate? Yes, it's also the credit card. (laughs) You put it in the wax. So he's giving him his credit card back, basically. He's got money. He's got a right to go out and spend it. And what did sandals mean? Who wore sandals? Noblemen wore sandals. Slaves and servants went barefoot. So he's he's ignored his request to come back as a servant, and he's made a full-fledged member of the family against him, or of him again. 
Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now the fattened calf maybe was waiting for the older son's wedding or something. We don't know. It was waiting for a special occasion. And one reason to have a calf instead of a goat would have been because a calf is going to feed the whole village. It's going to be a big party. If he just killed a lamb or a goat, it would have probably just fed the family and the servants. But this is enough to feed the whole village. So, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And again, this is the third time in the parables of things lost that we have seen heaven celebrating. For God wants us to know that he does celebrate over one lost soul. Then we get to the second son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he is back safe and sound. Now, who do you think the older brother represented in this story? He's the one that's been at home with the father, doing the father's work, quote, unquote. Church leaders? Yes, I think he was representing the group of church leaders that was following Jesus around, trying to catch him at something. So, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Now, Actually, the older brother had a duty that he was bound to do here, too, because as the oldest child of the family, when there was a party going on, it was his duty to be the host. He should have been in there making sure that there was plenty of wine and that the guests were being well taken care of and everything. So he was refusing to do the duty that he should have been doing. His father went out and pleaded with him. So this time he's pleading. The first time he lets the younger son go. But this time he's actually pleading with the older son. Do you think Jesus is pleading with the Pharisees and the leaders of the law? But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. He looks at his work for his father as slaving. And I never disobeyed your orders. Kind of doubt that. Nobody's perfect. But <laughs> but he's tooting his own horn there. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, nowhere in here, just for one thing, does it say there were any prostitutes involved. So he's elaborating. He He's making the story up. Maybe he's thinking that's what he would have been doing. Maybe he's just a little envious. <clears throat> Who knows? But anyway, he's very upset. And now you have killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, what did the older brother do at that point? 
We don't know, do we? Jesus' parables normally come to a very concise ending, and, and we they definitely have a message, and they come to a point. This is the one that does not. Why do you think that is? Well, the door is open. Do you think he's saying to the Pharisees and the leaders of the law, the door is still open for you? Did we want him to close the door? Do we wonder? He left us wondering if any of those ever came in. He did not want to close the door in their face. If he had said so, the father went in and closed the door, they would have been shut out. But he's left that door open. Another person, character we know of in the Bible is Nicodemus. Who was Nicodemus? He's the Pharisee that came to Jesus by night, right? I've often wondered if that was, if Nicodemus was the only one. And when I read this, it reminds me of Nicodemus. And I'd be hopeful that Nicodemus was representative of a number of them. Perhaps some of them did come in. But Jesus left the door open. He did not close the mat. So if they wished, they had an entry into the house to come in and do what the Father really wanted them to do. Forgiveness was theirs for the way they had been managing his business. He had called them wolves in sheep's clothing, a dens of vipers. They were definitely not there doing the job that God had wanted them to do. But the door was still open to forgive them as well. So this is our open-ended parable. So this is what he's saying to the leaders of the church. In your stony, loveless unbelief, you really murmur against God, not only against the Son, but against the Father and the Holy Spirit as well. I rescue a wandering sheep, and all heaven rejoices, but you complain. The Holy Spirit recovers a lost drachma, and the angels shout, but you are offended. The Father restores a penitent prodigal, and everyone else is jubilant, but you sulk all from the festive hall to pout. But he still left the door open for them. It's open for everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much, Carol. Sorry for us to rush you through. That's okay. Appreciate I, I can talk long or short. <laughs> very good. Well, our thought for the day, in following with our function coming up with our football, this is a quote from Benson Barty, the world-famous uh, Green Bay coach, says that perfection is not attainable. But if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. So everybody have a very good week and see you next week.